Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're continuing our series in the ABCs of faith, and today we're going to talk about faith in God's love. You see, in this series, we're reaching the point where we're talking about living by faith, how to put our faith into action. But before we actually get to that point, we need to be sure that our faith is rooted and grounded in the personal love of God for us. Faith in God's love. You see, without a revelation of God's love for us, our faith will be shaky and weak. Uh, there'll be little foundation there for a life of faith. And so Daniel 11.32, for example, says, those who know their God, those who know his love for them particularly, shall be strong. That means strong in faith and shall do and carry out great exploits, exploits of faith. So for a life of faith... We must know the love of God for us. That's our foundation. Well, 1 John 4.16 says this. We have known and believed. That means trusted, received. The love that God has for us. This is our foundation, you see. Do you know it? Do you believe it? The love that God has for us. God is love. I want you to know that God just doesn't have a little bit of love. He is love. He is absolute love. He is total love. He is infinite love. God is love. What he does, he doesn't do by halves. God's love is infinite for you. Immeasurable. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. In other words, he who abides by faith in the love of God, praise God, he abides in God and all the blessings of God. And so our faith must be grounded in God's love for us. That's where we draw our life from. And then we live out from that love. It says that we love him and we love other people because he first loved us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And now that the life that I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is saying that now we live by faith. That life of Christ uh, is, is, operates by faith in the Son of God. But what is our faith grounded in? It's him who loved me. That means he loved me 2,000 years ago when he died for me on the cross. That's the supreme demonstration of his love. That's how I know how much he loves me. He loved me and gave himself for me. And knowing that love, you see, I can live by faith now. I can trust in that love and I can live out that life that is working in me. Hallelujah. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love, his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we ask him, how much does he love us? He says, this is how much I love you. I died on the cross for you. He demonstrated it, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. You see, love can mean many different things in the English language. I could say, I love chocolate. And that means I, I have an admiration, I have a desire for chocolate. But the love of Christ that we're talking about here is agape love, self-giving, sacrificial, total love, unconditional love. It's not based on the, val the virtue, the, the beauty, the performance, the worthiness of the beloved. It, his love doesn't depend on something in us because it's while we were yet sinners, 
He died for us. Nothing in us drew his love. But he chose to love us. And his love is therefore an unconditional love. You see, if it depended on my loveliness, my performance, then, of course, then I could never be secure because I know myself. But knowing that he loves me unconditionally means I can secu be secure, I can trust in that love, and my faith now has a firm foundation. Romans 8.37 says, Yet in all these things, all circumstances of life, we are more than conquerors. How can I have that faith to be more than a conqueror, to draw on his victorious life? Through him who loved us, again, who loved us on the cross. That's how I can be more than a conqueror. My ability to believe in Christ's victory and success for my life is based on that revelation of Christ's love for me because he demonstrated that supremely on the cross. That undergirds my whole personality, knowing that I'm loved by God, by, by my creator. That enables me to believe and receive all things from him. Praise God. That's the basis for my life of faith. Galatians 5, 6 says, In Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. See, what matters is our faith, yes, but that faith must work through love. In other words, it can only begin to work properly as love is also operating, because it works through love. And so, first of all, I must know and believe and receive God's love for me. And then my faith can really spring into action out of that. And that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 for a revelation of God's love. Let's look at this wonderful prayer, verse 16. He says, I pray that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love. I want you to notice that inner strengthening of God's might is through faith. But that faith must be rooted and grounded in the God's love for us. And so that's why he goes on now to pray for a revelation of that love. He says that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ. We've got to have a revelation, first of all, of the width of the love. How wide is his love? Well, it includes the whole world. That's how wide it is. And that includes you. And then the length. What's the length of his love? Well, Jeremiah 31.3 says he's loved us with an everlasting love. He loved us and chose us from eternity past, and his love will never run out. Don't you thank God that after 10,000 years having a wonderful time in heaven, God says, okay, that's enough, time up. My love has now run out. I give you 10,000 years of love, but that's it. No, it's an everlasting love. It's a constant love. It never dims. It never fades. It never quits. It never dies. His, the length of his love is forever. Praise God. And then it talks about the depth. What's the depth of his love? That's how much he was willing the depths of his suffering for us. Suffering the equivalent of eternal hell for us. That's how deeply he loves you. And then he talks about the height of his love. And how, mu how much does he want to exalt us to the right hand of God far above the angels? That's the height of his love. We need a revelation to know the to this totality uh, of the love of Christ. It says to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How can you be filled with all the blessing and the health and the, and the life of God? Yes, it's through faith, but it's a faith that's grounded in a revelation of the love of God for you. It says it it's passes knowledge. That means it's infinite. It's beyond what your mind can comprehend. It's infinite, you see, because God does nothing partially. He does nothing by measure. You can't measure God's love for you because it's infinite. It's limitless. It's like a tidal wave. It's excessive. It's immense. It's beyond your comprehension. And if you just knew the, the magnitude of God's love for you, you would never have a, a faith problem again. You'd never have difficulty believing him again if you just knew how much he loved you. The reason we often shrink back from believing God is because we're limited in, in our understanding of how much he loves us. Again, John 3.16, we know it well. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And this word so actually means in this way. God loved us in this way, and the way that he loved us actually was to give his son to die on the cross for us. That's how we know how much he loves us. And I want to prove that to you, because when it says God so loved the world, that's a reference. It says in this way, you have to check the previous verses to see how God loves us. And this is the supreme demonstration. Because I want you to understand, if you want a revelation of God's love for you, you've got to see Jesus dying on the cross for you. That's how you can know the love that he has for you. And it says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And here Jesus is actually referring to a type in Numbers 21. Uh, Israel had sinned, and as a result, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and bit the people, and many of the people died. And the poison of these serpents brought a quick death. Then they repented and they prayed, and then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it will be that everyone who's bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. You see, the serpents represent sin, which bites you, and that poison of sin is death. Now, bronze is the metal that represents judgment. And so the symbol of sin, the serpent, was put up on a pole, and it was bronzed. And then everyone who looked at that would live. And this is a picture of Christ. You see, he was lifted up on the cross. He became sin for us. He took our sin on himself, and then that sin was judged on Christ. And now if we will look at Christ on the cross and see him love us and take our sins, and take the judgment for our sins, we look at that by faith and we receive life. Hallelujah. And that's what Jesus was saying. That's how God loved the world, by doing that for us. And so he loved, so loved the world in this way that he gave his son to die on the cross. That whosoever looks, believes on him as their saviour should not perish but have eternal life. 
And that's the revelation of God's love for us. That's the foundation of your faith. If God loves you so much that Jesus died on the cross for you, if you have a good look at that, you will find it easy to believe God and receive his love and his life. You see, the primary reason people fail and have difficulty trusting God is that they have a stronghold of unbelief in their mind concerning God's love for them. They live in constant anxiety. We need to know that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He loves me. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Do you realize God doesn't just put up with you? He loves you. And, you know, why are we carrying cares and worries? Why haven't we been able to move in faith and cast them all on the Lord? It's because we're not sufficiently convinced yet of his love for us. You know, that he'll actually take them and do something about it. You know, if you knew how much he loved you, when that problem hits, you wouldn't act and think like you were on your own in this. But you would just cast it all on him. You know, but if you don't have that revelation of his love, you can't move in faith in that area. The problem is, you see, we have strongholds in our minds. A stronghold is a basic belief, a conviction, a conclusion you've come to through life's experiences, through things that have been told you. You've come to this conclusion, uh, and it may be a wrong conclusion, that's opposed to the knowledge of God. And one of the main conclusions people will have is unbelief about God's love for them. Maybe they're aware of their own failings. And they tend to think, even Christians, that God just puts up with me, but can't be anything more than that. But praise God, we've got mighty weapons of the God's words to pull these strongholds down so that we can receive. You see, 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, the weapons of our warfare, our strategic warfare, are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We need to pull down that stronghold of unbelief so that we can receive God's love and God's blessings. And there's a background to this scripture, because Paul grew up in Silesia, and there was a recent pirate warfare there that had been building up. 10,000 pirates had 120 strongholds on the rocky cliffs of Silesia, and Rome was starving because when the grain ships came down nearby, the pirates went out of their strongholds and stole the grain. And Rome was starving, and they called for Pompey, the general, to do something about it in 67 BC. Um, he came up with some mighty weapons, and he came up with a strategy, and that was to build ships, and they would, rather than attack the pirates, which is the symptom of the problem, they went for the strongholds where the pi pirates operated out of, and they had mighty grappling hooks that they used to throw up and pull those strongholds down into the sea, and then, it was easy then to deal with the pirates. And Paul's using this as an illustration of the spiritual warfare that's going on in our mind as to whether we can believe and accept God's love for us. You see, God is sending ships of blessing to you on the rivers of his spirit, but pirates are coming out of strongholds, thoughts of fear, anxiety, doubt, that steal those blessings before they can get to you. What you have to do, you can fight pirates the rest of your life. What you really need to do is attack the strongholds, the basic wrong belief that God doesn't love me. And we use the mighty weapon of the word of God to pull that stronghold down. And then it's easy to deal with those thoughts. Once the stronghold is dealt with, 
then you can easily cast your care on the Lord. You can easily um, operate in faith. But we've got to pull those strongholds down. That's what he says in verse 5. Casting down arguments. That's the word logismus. That's the word stronghold. That's your convictions. Casting the, down these strongholds. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then he says you can bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, before you can take your thoughts captive, you've got to pull the stronghold down by the word of God. Well, in the pirate warfare, they had this problem for 100 years, but within three months, using this method, Pompey destroyed the whole pirate problem. And in the same way, your stronghold, where you don't truly believe that God loves you, that can be pulled down. And I want to share now the greatest teaching on God's love that I believe is in the teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 15 of a revelation of how much God loves you. And I want to share this to pull that stronghold down once and for all that you can truly accept the amazing, emotional, the, the powerful love of God for you so that you can receive all the blessings he's sending to you. Luke 15.1 says, All the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Here we have two groups in the audience. They're opposites. The legalists, the Pharisees, and the immoral people, the, the sinners, you might say. And the Pharisees saw these sinners as God's rejects. God had finished with them. They had no hope. And they were even offended that Jesus spent time with them. Uh, because they thought a man of God wouldn't do this because God had finished with these people. And so he told a parable to explain to them that they've totally misunderstood God and God's attitude to us. And they underestimate massively the love of God. So he spoke a parable to them. But actually it was three parables he told. And yet it's one parable. It's just like the Trinity. Because one parable is about the Father, another about the Son, another about the Spirit, and yet the three are one. The first parable is about the love of the son, the good shepherd. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Here's a silly sheep. who kn He knows best. And rather than staying close to the shepherd, he goes off alone. And of course, a sheep is defenseless. He's going to die. And it's just like us, isn't it? All we like sheep have gone astray. and We've turned everyone to our own way. He's doomed. And, and we might think as a shepherd, well, I've still got 99 sheep. The one is an acceptable loss. He deserves it anyway. Teaches the rest a lesson not to go off. Still got 99. The reasonable thing is just to let it go. But God isn't like that. That good shepherd could not think of anything else. He couldn't rest until he saved that one, you see. And that tells us something, that he would do it just for the one. You might think if he lost 10, then maybe he'd go. But if you were the only one, in other words, Christ would have still died for you. That's how much he loves you personally. He loves each one individually. We're all special to him. And the shepherd searched high and low. He couldn't rest until he found that sheep. And then suddenly he heard the sheep bleat. And when Jesus heard us bleep, call, Jesus, save me then he was able to rescue us. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, when he found it, he laid it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
He lifted us up out the ditch. And he was, he was rejoicing, not rebuking. He was carrying him home, not dragging him home. Come on, you silly sheep. You wasted my day. He was so glad. You know, when you come back to him, he's just so glad. And then it says, when he came home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. You'd have thought after a long day searching for this sheep, he'd just be glad to get into bed. He was too happy. He was too excited. He couldn't think of anything else. So he just called all his friends. He woke his friends up and said, celebrate with me. That's the kind of excessive emotional love of God that God has for you. That's what God is like. He goes on to say, I say to you that likewise, just like that, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner. Each one is special to God. You are special to God. One sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. In other words, when you got saved or when you came back to God, all heaven rejoiced. God had a party for you. And that's how much he loves you. He's not half-hearted. His love is immeasurable. And then the second parable adds to this, the parable of the Holy Spirit. It talks about a woman having ten silver coins. If she loses just one coin, she, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully till she finds it? Again, she's not happy that she's still got the nine because she loves each and every one of them. And she's a picture of the Holy Spirit searching us out in the dust of the world. We've been lost. And he's shining his light. And the moment he gets a reflection from us, the moment he gets a response from us, we call on the name of the Lord, he's able to pick us up out of the dust, dust us off and save us. And when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace that I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In other words, God says to the angels, stop everything, let's have a party. Heaven's full of interruption. Every time just one person gets saved. You know, I would, if I was God, you know, I would have, have, wait for a decent number, maybe a hundred people to be saved, and then let's have a party. But God is just crazy in his love. He just, each one, he has a, a party. It's unreasonable, it's emotional. Make God happy. Come back to God right now, and he'll have a party over you. And then the third parable is the parable of the prodigal father. Prodigal means wasteful, excessive. And this is the nature of the father's love. He's excessive in his love for us. The man had two sons. And these, the elder and the younger son were like the Pharisees and then the sinners, you see. The younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. This was shocking disrespect to the father. And then it says, he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And that's a picture of mankind. When he spent all, there rose a severe famine in the land. He began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his feeds to, fields to feed swine, which was the worst job for a Jew. A humiliation. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. He was now lower than pigs. He was in the pig pen of sin. Then he comes to himself and says, even my father's servants are better off than me. I'm going to return to my father. I'm going to repent. Maybe he'll take me back as a servant. But he had no idea of the love of the father for him, even though he'd sinned. And it says he arose and he came to his father. 
And the Pharisees are thinking, no way the father's going to turn him back. He's going to cast him out. But, it says, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. And this is amazing because it means the father was watching out for him. Every day he was looking to the horizon. Perhaps my son will come back to me today. That's how much his father loved him. All he wanted was to have his son restored. And he had compassion. And he ran to him. The father ran. And it says, and he gave him a great hug. You know, if that was me, I'd be standing there with my arms folded saying, "Uh let's see what he's got to say for himself. He'll have to give a pretty convincing speech for me to accept him back. It it would be a a little bit of love left, but very measured. But God isn't like that. He loves totally, with the totality of his being. And and he, he loved him. And even though he was covered in pig mess, like we're covered in sin when we come back to God, yet God just hugged him anyway. Because all that matters to him is he's got his son back. This is God's love for you. It's, it's abundant love. It's plenty too much love. Just receive that love for you, that unconditional love for you. And the son starts to make a speech saying that he's sorry, but the father quickly stops him because he's not going to take him as a servant. He's going to take him as a son. He said, bring out the best robes and put it on him. And he put a robe of righteousness on us. And then it says, put a ring on his hand. And that meant he now had the full authority as the father's son to do business for him. He was accepted as a son, not a servant. And sandals on his feet, he gave him his dignity back to walk as a son. And bring the fatted calf and eat it and let's again have a party. And they began to make merry. That's God's love for you. Even though you've gone into sin, as soon as you come back to him, He rejoices, he welcomes you, he smothers you, he embarrasses you with his love. But the older son, like the Pharisees, was not pleased with this. He was in fact angry and refused to join in the celebration. And the father even tried to reach out to him, but he wouldn't have it. He says, I've been serving you, I've been slaving for you all these years. You've never given me anything. That was a lie. But he saw the father as as a slave master. But actually, the father had already given the eldest son everything. In fact, he had the double portion. But he didn't understand the father's heart at all, like the Pharisees. And the father said, all that I have is yours. I've already given you everything. But it's right we should make merry because the son, the other son had died and now he's alive again. That's what God is like. You're treasured in his sight. He wants to love you. He wants to have a close relationship with you. He wants you to accept that love for you. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Receive the love of God. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. If God didn't spare his own son but delivered him up for you, for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He loves you. Believe it. Receive it.